Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Attacking Scrum podcast. Thank you very much indeed for downloading. Uh, a special episode for you this week. We've got a, a listener takeover of sorts. We've had loads of listener questions uh, come in. And we've also got the pleasure of a good friend of the show. Uh, we haven't had him on for a while. So it's a, a big warm welcome to top journalist Stefan Thomas. How are you, Steph? Yeah, very well, thank you. And uh, thanks for inviting me onto the show. Always a pleasure. Yeah, always always good to have you on. Um, as I mentioned to you uh, beforehand, my brain doesn't seem to be working this week, so we need a proper rugby brain to to tackle some of these questions that uh, that the listeners have sent in. Uh, it's been another busy week in uh, in Welsh rugby. There's also been um, some tough rugby to watch, but I suppose we should probably start with uh, with perhaps the high point, which is another win for the uh, for the women, which is is two from two now. Um, I suppose it's keen to just get your thoughts really on how that um how that side is progressing from like a from a broader sense really. You know, now we've seen the professional contracts come in and also seeing fans come through the gates. How encouraging do you think that is for the uh for the women's game in Wales as a whole? I think it's hugely encouraging, but I think we should stress that it's just a start as well. Um there's always sort of room for improvement. Um I think what what I what I've been impressed by in these two games is, you know, there's been moments where they've been really under the caution mm. in both games. You know, they had to come from behind in both games and they, they found the, the, you know, the the ability to win those games. Um, you know, they're, they're quite, they're quite a street right side as well, aren't they? You know, with their, you know, they, they go strong set piece, strong pack um, and their problem solving is, is pretty good as well. Um, so it's, and, and they play good rugby. So it's fantastic to see them win those games. I think obviously, you know, Nigel Walker's made a big difference is coming back into the Welsh Rugby Union, you know, introducing a professional contracts and, and a few retainer contracts as well. So that's a, a step in the right direction. But, you know, there's still, you know, huge room for improvement. Um, whether we can get some professional sides in Wales as well, women's side in Wales, that, that, would be, um, that would probably be the next step. But I think it's certainly a good start and... Um, you know, a, a step in the right direction for the for women's rugby in Wales. Yeah, and no, I think I think you're absolutely right. You've touched on an interesting point there with uh, with Nigel Walker, who is obviously going to be an incredibly busy man right now, and has his work cut out across uh, across the board. Like you say, that's that's an encouraging start. We've had a couple of questions in in relation to um, the WRU off the back of a very poor Six Nations campaign for. Uh, for Wales, so I just want to field um, throw a couple of those uh, in your direction. Uh, just going to find the uh, 
the two uh, the two that, that kind of relate to that. So this one was from Gary Smith. It says, wondering what your thoughts are on why there's been no statement from the WRU on this year's uh, Six Nations performance. Obviously, we saw one from the RFU, which wasn't uh, particularly well received. It seemed like a bit of a confused um, a confused statement. What what's your uh, yeah? What's your thoughts on on the kind of the, the silence from uh, from from head office? Uh, personally, I think it's um, I, do, I don't think it's very respectful of the fans, really. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of people who, have, who are heavily invested in rugby and Wales, both in terms of buying tickets and and emotionally, and they deserve um, to have their questions answered over why Wales has such a poor Six Nations, over why the the regions or, or the pro teams, whatever you want to call them, are are still struggling over what's happening with with the Welsh Premiership, and you know, the, there's a lot of community um, clubs um, who can't field teams, so. You know, what I liked about Martin Phillips, the previous chief executive, is whether you agreed with his policies mm. or not, and I was 50-50, I agreed with some, didn't agree with others, he'd always regularly make himself available to the press. You know, he had a presence in social media as well, and, and he would always take the, the tough questions, he'd answer them thoroughly. But Steve Phillips and, and Rob Butcher, they, they're only up for press about probably about two or three times a year. Um, and, and for me, that's that's not really acceptable, in my opinion. Um, you know, they're they're heading up um, almost a national institution. You know, one of the the biggest sort of brands in in Welsh society. As I said, a lot of people spend a lot of money watching Wales, following Wales, and investing emotionally. And they should be um, doing the same as the RFA. They should be standing up in front of the press and answering the tough questions. You know, what are they going to do? How are Wales going to get back on track for the World Cup? Because um, at the moment, we're sleepwalking towards a group stage exit with, with Fiji and Australia in our pool. We've been there before, haven't we, 2007? And it's going to happen again unless dr- drastic change happens. So they need to answer these questions. Um, and in my opinion, they should have called a press conference um, you know, a week or two after the, the championship. So I, I think they, they need to come out and they need to answer tough questions. They, they need to be fronting up to the press a lot more regularly. So I, I would agree with... Uh, with those, um, you know, with, with that statement, yeah, and you know, you, you mentioned there obviously the the change that there has been at the top, and neither of these guys have any real media background. You know, we're talking about a, someone from education and and a finance guy ultimately. Not that I'm saying that's an excuse, but perhaps it means that you know these these are guys who aren't going to feel comfortable in in that position. Which, let's be honest, it's a big part of the job. Yeah, ab- absolutely, but but. You know, it's 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 like being um, manager of Manchester United or Man City or Chelsea or Liverpool or one of the big Premier League clubs, and not wanting to deal with the press. Mm. You, know, you have to front up regularly. It's it's part of it's part of your job. And as I said, you know, rugby. You know, it's still um, important to the people in Wales on a on a, you know in, in a broad sense, and they they you know they they deserve to have their sort of. Um, you know, questions sort of answered, and um, yeah, I, I personally like to see them, um, you know, um, answer um, answer to the press on a more regular basis. Yeah, I think you know, it's definitely something something that would be a start. Did you did you see the uh, the RFU statement following uh, following that? Is that something that you had uh, you had an opinion on? Obviously, it doesn't necessarily relate to the to the Welsh game, but I thought it was quite an odd. Um, it just felt it felt like a bit of an, an odd engagement, and it's it's been a bit weird that you know we're talking the the press is kind of talking about Eddie Jones's successor, um, and that almost feels like it's it's trying to deflect things a little bit from from the pressure that he's under. I just wondered what yeah what your take on what was going on the other side of the bridge. In, in what what sense? So one, do you think that it's a bit of a, a deflection ploy from uh, from the RFU? Um, kind of hiding behind, you know, they haven't said who who has assessed that performance. They've said there's a you know a panel of people who've yeah. who've assessed it. You know, without knowing who they are, it's it doesn't really hold that much credibility. And then secondly, in relation to the talk about Eddie Jones's successor, is it a, a bit of a strange thing to be doing that? You know, while he's under so much scrutiny. A little bit, yeah. I think when when you look at um, England, I mean, they've got so many. Their player base is significantly higher than 
than everyone else. Well, especially, I think probably the best comparison is to Ireland mm. and, you know, the Celtic nations. I mean, they, they should be in the top half, if not winning the Six Nations, no, no less than every other year. You know, they got the playing base, they got the, the size, the power, they got all the resources behind the scenes and they, they should be doing a lot better. I think in terms of Eddie Jones, I mean, when, when he came in, it was almost like, like a honeymoon period. I mean, they, they were incredibly successful in, in his first few Six Nations. Um, obviously, it took him to a World Cup final. Obviously, they, they were stuffed in the final, but, you know, still a relatively mm. good achievement. But things have seemed to have gone a little bit... It's gone very stale over the past couple of years. I mean, they're, they're sort of crying out for fresh, you know, for, for sort of a, a fresh voice, a fresh direction. Um, so I think, you know, it's... Personally, they made they made a statement about um, how you know they had to have an English coach. Um, obviously, there, there's you know ideally you probably want a homegrown coach, and you know there are a lot of quality English coaches. Obviously, Farrell is is the obvious one. Um, you know, Rob Baxter, we all know what he's done with Exeter. Um, but I don't know. Do you, do you think that they're sort of you know limiting their options by saying that? I mean, there's yeah. you know there's a, there's a lot of you know Warren Gatlin is the obvious one. Yeah. Let's face it, Welsh fans won't want to hear that. No. But, you know, perfect for them. Um, Razi Erasmus has been linked to them. I mean, surely they'd seriously consider either of those, yeah, even I, though they're not English. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to, wouldn't you? It's, it's a very, very... That's that's the other thing that I think is quite odd. It reminds me of, like, the the FA in the, you know, in the, the 90s and noughties, you know, when they ditched Keegan and then it was, right, we need the best person for the job, which wherever they're from, which was Sven Goran Eriksson. And then there was this kind of knee-jerk reaction, oh, we need an English manager again. And there's Steve McLaren, who was drastically underqualified for it. And then it was, right, we need the best coach again. It was Fabio Capello. And, you know, it was this kind of like uh, bucking to whatever the, you know, whatever the consensus was amongst, you know, amongst the the tabloid press and the and the fans. It, it kind of reminds me of that, really. And I, I just think, look, if there is someone who's good enough for the job, I, you know, I think Farrell's an outstanding candidate, really. I think uh, you know he's getting huge experience as a as a head coach and getting Ireland into a, into being a really good outfit. Um, but it's but it's odd, you know. There's there's so many different criteria there that um, you wonder who who it's going to end up with. You're right, Gatland would be a brilliant candidate as well, Erasmus. Um, but you know, again, like so, someone like Farrell, if if you're saying it has to be an Englishman, he would definitely be for me. I think the front runner along with Baxter, but. They're not going to get dragged into a you know into a conversation about it when when Farrell's got to be concentrating on a World Cup. It's uh, yeah, so that's what I mean. The, the whole thing just feels a little a little bit strange to me. But if Ireland win the World Cup with an Englishman coaching them, isn't that an embarrassment on the RFU's part? Yes, you know, or, you know, and and equally, or sorry, a more likely scenario is that France win the Rugby World Cup with. Uh, an Englishman who should have had a yeah. coaching role there before Wales had him for a decade, you know. So you know, there will definitely be. I think one of those scenarios seems pretty likely. But um, yeah, anyway, we've got a little a little way to go with uh, with those things. Let's bring bring it back to the to the game in Wales, Steph. Uh, as I said, a pretty well a pretty grisly uh, weekend for three of the regions. You were at uh, you were at the Scarlets uh, Cardiff game. Last night, we'll come on to that in a bit. More hammerings for uh, for the Ospreys and the Dragons in South Africa. Um, I mean, again, it, we we feel like we're having one of these existential conversations around the the uh, the pro game in Wales once again. Wanted to take this one from uh, from Gareth Llewellyn, uh, who says, uh, "Does Steph believe there's any truth in the Ospreys either moving north or there being uh, this two plus two? Uh, two plus two set up, i.e., two development regions and two, um, two kind of elite regions, if you like. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Um, personally, I I don't, I don't really, um, I, I don't think having a professional team in North Wales at the moment is a sensible thing to do. If If I'm being mm-hmm. honest with you, um, obviously in an ideal world, you know, you, you would have a professional team in the north, but I don't think. Welsh rugby is in a position financially to have a professional team in the north, um, where they get well. Suppose they could play a park area, so mm. you know in Wrexham potentially. But who's going to fund that? You know, Ryan Reynolds. With? The, well, yeah. Well, if he puts if he goes into his pocket, then we're in business, and we <laughs> <laughs> I very much doubt he's going to do that. So, um, 
that that's the main question. Who, 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 you know, what players are going to want to play there, and who's who's going to fund them? So I, I, you know, I personally would be shocked to see that happening. In terms of the the two and two, um, I think if you stay at, on the same funding model as we're currently on, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't think that should be ruled out. Um, and this isn't coming from any any inside knowledge. It's just my opinion. Mm. Um, obviously, the, um, the finances of Welsh rugby aren't great at the moment. Uh, you know, the playing budgets of the four professional teams isn't isn't high enough to compete with, um, you know, France and and Ireland. You know, obviously, England have got the the salary cap at the moment has been lowered, so that's made it a bit more of an equal playing field. Um, but um, you know, if we stay on the same funding model, you'd have to say that that could be a possibility. I think that. Um, the way we're going at the moment is just not working. Mm. That's, that's fairly obvious with, with results. Um, so if you had two fully fat teams and two semi-skimmed teams, um, the two fully fat teams realistically should be able to compete in the latter stages of the Champions Cup. Um, but, you know, the, the big the big issue would be who are the two fully fat teams? Um, you, you'd imagine that, you know, Cardiff would have to be one of them. Um and then good luck in deciding between the Ospreys and the Scarlets. Um, so that probably puts an end to that. So, um, you know, you, you're looking at the, the way things are going in, in Welsh rugby at, at regional level, um, and drastic change does need to happen somewhere. But you have to remember that three of these um, regions or clubs are independent businesses. They need the WIU, obviously. Um but it's not as if you know the, the WIU can just sort of close them down without without a fight because they they don't own them. So um, obviously the, the, there has to be some sort of change down the line. But you know if you were one of the teams, um, if you were told by the the PRB and the Welsh Rugby Union that you were getting demoted to a sec, to a second class citizen, you were you were getting less money, and you, you know um, then you're you're going to fight it, aren't you? And if you were a fan of the Ospreys or the Scarlets and they were going to be semi-skimmed, would you buy a season ticket? How how, how could you market that? It, it's hard enough as it is yeah. at the moment. So um, I think to answer the question, I think the, the two and two model could work, but the stumbling block's going to be over agreeing who gets the fully fat status. So that probably kicks it into touch for now. But um, the interesting thing is, of course, that... Um, in the past, Wales have been very successful at test level, obviously, and the gap and they won Grand Slams and, and you know, dwelling World Cups and stuff. So the regional question, the problem with the regions was always sort of brushed under the carpet and kicked down the road. But we just lost a home to Italy. So it's probably, you know, something that the WIU might be pushing a little bit more now because they need to get that level of the game right. Otherwise, you know, it's going to sort of you know, the rot will spread into the national side, which has already begun, because even in the height of the war on Gatland era, there were a lot of well-informed people warning the Welsh Rugby Union that their, their top-heavy approach, which was allowing the grassroots game, the regional game to rot, and the, and the pathways and whatnot, was going to catch up with the national side. We're, we're at that stage now. So I think over the next two years, we probably will see drastic change to an extent. But... Um, you know, I think it's going to be a pretty bumpy ride. I, the two and two thing for me is, um, it, you know, it's probably sensible. It's logical from a certain point of view, but there's a lot of self-interest in Welsh rugby, and that's going to be the barrier to that happening, I imagine. Yeah, I think it was it Steve Hansen at the time of the the game going regional. He wielded out that quote: "Everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die." I think it's uh, you know it's that it's that kind of scenario. You can look at the big picture, but you're right. Yeah. As independent businesses, you're going to fight. You're going to fight your corner, and you're absolutely right. It's hard enough to get people through the doors now. In you know, I, I've been very critical of this league because it feels like a complete mishmash, and you know, this I, I think it, it probably started a bit better this this time round. I think you know, perhaps because you because the the where the Heineken Cup had moved, it was um, you know, you had some more competitive fixtures. Well, you know, now we're deep into the season, and and that's that's well out the window. So it's, it's difficult enough to get people through. But you're right, if you know how you how you market someone as a 
as a development region in that league, you know, uh, you know, to re- to reduce the playing budgets and then some send send someone off to South Africa to take a hiding from the Stormers again, it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't feel like that's gonna that's gonna do much to to boost them as a you know as a as a, as a marketable uh, way of you know a marketable product. So um, yeah, it's uh, and that's you know that's that's before you get into all the the, the questions about. Um, so go on, go on, Steph. So I was I was going to say I think that the fundamental issue in Welsh rugby, I think you know from a governance point of view, I just think I know I know we've been here before and I know the chances of this are probably slim at the moment, but there has to be a split between mm-hmm. the grassroots game and the professional game. You, you look you look at some of the people involved at the the pro clubs and on the professional rugby board. We've recently had. A chief executive of a FTSE 100 company, chief executive yeah. of, of Aviva, Amanda Blanc, leave. We still don't know why she's left. There's a lot of rumours going round. I mean, that's something the WIU need to address mm-hmm. publicly, in my opinion, as well. Um, you know, there, there was there was uh, an article in Mail Online which had a lot of pretty serious accusations oh, in. Yeah. There was there was a state a little statement at the end from the Welsh Rugby Union. Well, sorry, that's that's not good enough. When that happens, you you call a press conference and you you take questions and you you put your side across. You don't just just brush it under the carpet like that. Um, so I think that's um, you know there, there's a tribunal going to take place. So that that's that's a problem for them. Um, but I I, th- I think you know you, you look at the professional rugby board. So I've mentioned one former member. You know you look at somebody like David Buttress, you know former mm-hmm. chief executive of Just Eat. Um, you know, you, you, you've you've got people like Arlen Jones, who's a partner in the law firm. Um, you know, you've got a lot of very, very highly qualified businessmen, right? And and these people, they, they obviously care about Welsh rugby because if they didn't, they wouldn't they wouldn't be putting themselves through this because they're not making any money out of it. To be honest, they don't. They probably don't even need the hassle. They're there because they love the game. You know, these are very highly intelligent people who know how to make money, who know how to run a successful business, create a successful product. But ultimately, they, they could put on the table a plan. They literally could put on the table a plan that could transform Welsh rugby, that could get us earning money, that that, that, that that could make the region successful. But they have to get permission from, you know, armator, people involved in the armator game who have no business experience. They have people like that blocking any plans that they have. I mean... You know, this is the 21st century now, and it feels as if we're in the 19th century with the Welsh Rugby Union. It hasn't evolved in over 100 years in that sense. And I just think until the professional and the amateur game is split, we're not going to move forward, you know. And that 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 is the fundamentally the biggest issue in Welsh rugby. And a lot of your listeners might think that I'm, um, you know, putting down the grassroots. I'm not. It's just as important as the professional game because obviously... You can't have one without the other in, in a cert, to a certain degree. But in terms of governance, in terms of making decisions at the professional end of the game, that should be done by professionals. It's like you or I um, lecturing a, a doctor on how to do a kidney transplant. We're not qualified. So why, why you know, we take their words for it because they're the professionals. And that is a similar thing in Welsh rugby. Um, leave the professional game to the professionals. And... You know, I think this loan as well. I mean, mm. obviously they've refinanced it. This CL Bills loan. It, you know, the WIU should have taken that on. They should have borrowed against the stadium, and they should have secured the future, the long-term future. Well, should be no. The four pro teams. Okay, there's better terms now with the repayments over a longer period of time, but they got a rope around the neck. Haven't they? It's just been loosened a little bit, uh, and the Welsh rugby union should have taken that on. You know, they, they, they've. I, I, I think that was. Um, I thought he was immoral myself. Um, I know these these opinions are pretty controversial, but until you split the professional and the amateur game, Welsh rugby won't move forward. And um, I think, given the success of the Welsh football, um, and I, I'm pleased to see mm-hmm. that, um, you know, rugby is going down a very slippery slope in Wales. And if we don't act over the next um, couple of years, I think um, you know we're, we're in we're in big trouble. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Right, we've still got lots more to lots more to get through, Steph. I'm keen to get your uh, your opinion on the uh, the success of the football as well, and, and perhaps what the uh, what the WRU can can learn from that. And we're going to do all of that in the second half of the show. But first, we're going to take a very quick break.
Right, fascinating first half there, Steph. Really enjoyed getting your thoughts on uh, on all of those uh, all of those points. Uh, you know, I think obviously the the regional rugby in particular is just something that um, there is there is there is no quick fix to it. And, and like you say, it's uh, even if you had the most fundamentally brilliant business plan to to transform the regions. Um, it's likely to require constitutional change in order to in order to actually progress with any of those things. So I mean, it's a, a fascinating, exactly. messy, messy uh, situation that, that we find ourselves in. Um, for me, there you touched on a really interesting. Well, you're obviously talking about the the, uh, the the decoupling of the amateur and the and the professional game. I also think that there's there's a couple of issues when it comes to uh, when it comes to the national side as well. Obviously, you know, like you said, under the Gatland era, we were able to, if you like, paper over the well, more than just cracks. Um, uh, but I think the the other thing that, that kind of needs looking at now as well is the, the the poor performance during the during the Six Nations, despite the fact that the regions have been poor, there is something that has got to be addressed there, whether it's the whether it's the coaching, whether it's well, I, I mean I think the, the coaching is it seems to be the, the question on everyone's lips, right? Is um you know, is is Pivak gonna survive this this period? Um should he, given the you know, given the the, the recent results, um, and you know, obviously, as someone who's who's watched uh, Pivac sides at, at Scarlets and and with Wales, was really keen to get your your assessment of the Six Nations and his um, yeah his position at the moment. Yeah, I think obviously, as I've just said, um, you know, Welsh rugby's problems are a lot deeper than the national yeah. side. But having said that, you know, they still should be beating Italy yeah. at home. Um, so you know, it's it's a it's a bit of both, really. I think from in Pivak's defence, and, and I do have a lot of criticisms, which I'll go on to in a minute. But in his defence, you know, I think Warren Gatland did get out at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, people, I think I've said this in this podcast before, but people give Gatland a lot of praise, and rightly so. He's a world class coach. You know, did, did a lot for for Welsh rugby, absolutely. But people forget that he was blessed with the most gifted crop of Welsh players since the 1970s. He had the players, you know, they made up the bulk of the of three or four Lions to us at the end of the day. Um, so you did have the players. Now, obviously, this this approach that was brought in originally by Roger Lewis, this top-down approach, has caught up with Welsh rugby. And, and Pivak is, is the man who, unfortunately, um, is the coach when, when, this, when this has really come home to roost. Um, I don't think we've... We've got the players that we used to have. You know, there's still players that you know we still should be able to put out to 23 that can win, win you know one-off games. I don't think you know we, I don't think we're particularly good enough to win Grand Slams anymore. We still should be beating likes of Italy and Scotland at home. Um, but I just think my my biggest issue from Pivac is is the lack of continuity in selection. Um, you know, I understand as I said, you know. He, he hasn't got the sort of the class that Gatland has, so he's got to, to an extent, experiment and look at certain players. You look at, you know, he's capped people like Matthew Screech. Um, you know, he's capped like a lot of players like that who you think are on the periphery. You know, you're not quite sure whether they're test class or not. He's had a look at them and he's thrown them in in the bin basically afterwards. So he's done a lot of that, but you know, we we went to Twickenham. Um, you know, we, we had an awful first half and came back quite well. Probably should have won. Um, you know, played reasonably well against France, but didn't quite have the cutting edge. So um, obviously, but then he, he keeps chopping and changing. So it's very difficult to sort of to sort of build on that. But also, when you look at Wales, um, there are very few players outside of the squad who could come in and make a difference. Mm-hmm. So that's a problem for Pivac. But the biggest issue I've got is when. Um, you know, when when he came in, the, the hope was that he'd take this, this the style of rugby that won the Scarlets, the league, did well in Europe, into the Test arena. I think you'd have to be naive to think he could have transferred that exactly the same way. You know, because when the Scarlets were winning games, they were throwing outrageous mm. offloads in their own twenty-two and and that sort of thing. So he had to, you know, he had to, you know, he, he had to sort of rein it in a bit. But there's been no creativity behind the scrum. We've got a very dangerous back three with Liam Williams, Rhys Ahmed and Ardens and Cuthbert again now. Um, but there's no penetration whatsoever in midfield. That That's, you know, that that's a big problem. And I think Wales' best performances in the Pivac era 
have been when he's reverted to to war and ball almost. Um, you look at and, and they've more or less been you know mainly been defeats. You know the mm. defeat against South Africa in the autumn. Um, you know the the defeat against France. He's he's almost reverted to the way Gatlin played, but he doesn't have the power to sort of get those results. So you know I I don't think when when Gatlin was criticised a lot for the style of play, and there were periods where we struggled a little bit in his era. But at least with Gatlin, there was clarity over the over the tactics. There's yeah. clarity over what they were trying to do. I don't know what Pivak is trying to do. Um, one one game they're trying one thing. You know, the the best performance is probably the Grand Slam defeat in Paris. It, it was undoubtedly definitely the best. And that was that was what we'd hoped to see Wales play like when Pivak came in. And we haven't seen that since. Um, you know, we played South Africa. We, you know, we played reasonably well, but that was. You know, that was basically war and ball, as was the French game. So, you know, the, there's just no, there's no continuity in anything, and I'm not really sure what he's trying to achieve. And as I said, the way we're going at the moment, we are sleepwalking towards a World Cup uh, pool stage exit, um, which I thought we'd uh, we left behind. So, I don't. I personally think they're going to stick with him, but um, I, I, I've. I don't have much faith that things are going to turn around in time for the World Cup. No, and the World Cup is, you know, this is not, um, this is a much better Fiji side than the one that we lost to in 2007. You know, this is a re- they obviously they had some great players then, but in the last couple of years, they've really, really developed, you know, and they're churning out world class players. And, you know, the, the, the heavy, the, the heightened involvement in, um, in Super Rugby is, is only going to help. Um, and also the, the change in the, the kind of the repatriation laws might well add a few more squad members in as well. I mean, this is this is a really tough group. Weirdly, the same group as it was four years ago, but um, it's it's going to be a really tough one to, to get out of. And um, you know, obviously Wales did really well in 2019 and made the semi-finals, but it was a hell of a, a tough game against Fiji. It was brutal. It was physical. There was, you know, there were certainly moments in there where you thought this, this is this is far from a foregone conclusion. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, you've you'd be uh, you'd be hugely optimistic not to be worried um, at this stage. You know, whatever we are, eighteen months out. But also, I, th- I think you know it's all well and good saying that Wales should sack Pivac, mm. but you've got to have someone lined up. Right? Who's who's replacing him? And if you were a top end Kiwi coach, see. So, you know, I've seen a lot of people suggest Scott Robertson, and obviously he's a phenomenal coach. Yeah. You know, he'd be a great appointment. But why would Scott Robertson want to touch the Wales job? As I've said, we haven't got the players so have. Let's not beat around the bush. Um, you know, he wants the All Black job. I mean, part of him, you know, you, you could you could go to him and say, look, you know, take let's take us to the World Cup, take Wales to the World Cup. But it takes more than a few months to turn around a team like Wales. And by taking on the Welsh job, he could be doing his reputation more harm than good. He's probably better off staying where he is until um, until the All Blacks come in. Um, you, look, you look around the world, um, who could they get? You've got someone like Jamie Joseph at Japan. Would he want to leave Japan? I don't know. Um, you know, Joe Smith is in New Zealand. Don't know if he'd want to come back over here. Um, maybe there are a few English coaches, somebody like Rob Baxter, but again, we don't know what the contractual situations are, how how much money that we'd have to pay to get them in. So, it, it's a it's not an easy thing. Uh, and what what Welsh coach could could take this job? Da Young is probably the only one mm. that um, would be a contender because we haven't got homegrown candidates. Have we? It's not like England. You know, I know I had a bit of a gorgeous now, but they still got Borthwick. You know, there's um, as I said, Rob Baxter. Um, I know he's not English, but somebody like Mark McCall, albeit allegedly Saracens would demand thirty-two million pounds, so that's pro- probably not going to happen. But you get you get the point I'm making. There's mm. no there's no clear candidate that I can think of that they could turn to. Um, but obviously, when when you're under pressure as a coach, when the team is under pressure, the I'm not suggesting that this is the case, but you have to have a united front. You have to have a united squad. If if there are players going in different directions, you're in trouble. And Wales haven't got the player base to sort of kick senior players out because they haven't got the depth. So that's when things get a bit sketchy, and that's when you you go to drastic action if if the dressing room's been lost. And I'm not suggesting that's the case, but that that's the key question. 
but um, hopefully Pivot can turn it around. But as I said, I, I, we are sleepwalking towards a cool stage exit, and um, I, I'm I'm struggling to see how they can turn it around. If I'm being honest, yeah, and. Something that won't make happy reading for Wayne Pivak is uh, two big injuries at the weekend as well. It looks like Josh Adams is, uh, you know, we'll have to watch that one closely, but it looks like that might be ligament um, ligament damage. And, and Moriarty went off with a with a horrible looking injury on, on Friday night as well. Two players that you would definitely want going into a three, it's a three test series in South Africa, isn't it? I think. Um, Unfortunately. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it is. It looked hard on paper before any of this, but to add injury concerns on top of what, what is already missing, it. Um, I mean, it's going to be a, a, a formidable task in front of them. Yeah, I mean, Ross Moriarty's a hard man, and um, you could hear you him know, scream. You, you yeah. Just yeah, you could hear him scream. He was in absolute agony. So that you know, you part of me thought, oh, I hope it's a stinger, but it's not. I don't think you know. It, it looked like it looked a pretty severe injury and. When you go into South Africa, I mean, this is a negative way to think about it, but I, I, you know, it's damage limitation, if I've been honest. And he's one of the only players, one of the only Welsh players that can physically stand up to the spring box, that can mix it with them. So that that is a quite a big blow, I think, losing Moriarty. Um, Josh Adams, if he's out, um, the problems will be up front. Yeah, of course. Not in the back three. Um, we've got a bit of depth in the back three, but he's still a world-class finisher and you want your... You know, you want as many world class players as you can on the field, uh, and he is, you know, close to world class. So that'll be a big blow as well. But you know, going to South Africa, I mean, there'll be no pressure on Wales, mind. You know, nobody'd expect them to do anything. But it's not the game Pivac want. It's not the tour I think he'd want because, no. you know, this this when you go back to 2019, right? They I think is the summer before 2018. They went to Argentina. Mm-hmm. Argentina was struggling a bit. But they still had a strong. Strong squad and Wales had. Um, I think they played South Africa in Washington DC as well. Right. I remember Ryan Elias got the winning try. Yeah, it was a but horrible, they, they horrible took game. out. Yeah, yeah, but they, they still won. But they, they took out um, a mix and match squad. There was some experience, but there was a lot of fringe players yeah. who've been waiting in the wings a very long time. You know, brought a real edge to things. A lot of younger players really, you know, came through. So Gatland had that luxury, and I remember Gatland saying in a press conference afterwards. In my whole time coaching Wales, this is the most satisfied I've been after a summer tour because he just uncovered some some proper strength mm-hmm. in depth. But Piva can't afford to mess around in South Africa. It's going to be like Loftus first fell in 1998 again, yeah. which was uh, the record defeat. I think Wales' record defeat. Um, so he can't... That, that's the problem. He Ideally, this close to a World Cup, and it is close in test match terms, the, on a summer tour, you would want to blood a few more players, but I don't think he can. Um, otherwise, you know, you could scar these players mentally if they were on the, the receiving end of a, of a serious hiding, which they could be. And also, there's the possibility of a cricket score. So, um, you know, it, it's 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 not it, it's it's probably a nightmare scenario for him. Um, I, you know, I I don't know what what do you think, Jed. Would you take any? Um, any fringe players? I've seen, I've seen a question, um, one of your viewer listeners, so I thought I'd throw it back on you. Thanks. I hadn't, I hadn't even seen that one, Steph. You're doing my, you're doing my job for me as well. Um, yeah, I, I can't think... remember who asked it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, scroll, I'll scroll through and make sure, uh, make sure, make sure we find them. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think you can at all. You know, right now when you're fighting for your job, um, or fighting to to kind of create any kind of winning mentality creates some kind of confidence, some reason to believe that you can, you can go on to the, to the world cup and, and have a half decent campaign. No, I I don't think you can afford to do it. I mean, you mentioned uh, prior to this, that he's largely been doing that during six nations campaigns as well. You know, there's, there's players coming in and out to find out whether they're international quality or not. And, that doesn't make for that doesn't make for, for successful rugby really. I think you know you've got to take the Six Nations seriously because that is a that is a tournament where you you know if you get success in there you can really you can really build upon it. I know we won it the year before, but it was a very strange scenario and you know red cards and you know some fortuitous refereeing and everything else I think did contribute to that a lot. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think you can. I think you've, you've got to pick your strongest 23. He's got to find out by the end of this tour what his strongest 23 is 
and you know obviously there will be players missing through injury, but he's got to pick his strongest sides, and he's got to make sure um, he's got to make sure that it's it's not three complete hidings because that will um, there there'll be absolutely no recovery from that. And uh, yeah, if I if I was him, I'd be picking yeah I'd be picking the the strongest, most experienced, most physical side that I could take out there. I, I agree. I, th- I think there's there's maybe room for a few. Um... A few untested players in the wider squad. I, I think he might look at um, David Jenkins from Exeter, yeah. second row. Um, I know he's not played in recent weeks because they've obviously got their international contingent back. But he was um, he's, he was excellent during the Six Nations period. I think he might look at him. Um, other than that, I think that the biggest issue we got is centre as well. I think he needs to find someone in midfield. I, I don't know whether he he would want to blood somebody like a Kieran Williams or. Um, and now you know when he's injured, unfortunately. Um, and then, you know, you, the back row, I mean, might look at Tommy Raffle, maybe. But um, as I said, there's not there's not a great deal of player outside, players outside of the squad that could come in and make a big difference. Um, so I don't, I don't really see him taking that many rookies. Maybe Johan Lloyd as well might come into consideration. But on the whole, um, I think it'd be, you know, roughly about 90% the same squad that played in the Six Nations. Yeah, and I think you've, you've just got you've got to find a pack that can function out there. You know, it's you know I, I think it'd be great to see Johan Loy. He's a brilliant, he's a brilliant talent, and we've all said there's a real lack of creativity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously he brings that kind of uh, that option of playing in various different positions in the back line as well, which is great. But you know, if you can't get even close to parity up front, it, you know, you could have. Peak Gareth Edwards at nine, and it would make a difference. So um, no. you know, it's um, it's going to be a hell of a difficult tour. Um, as we said, one side who's uh, experienced a uh, a hell of a difficult mini tour out there is uh, is the Dragons. We've had this question in from uh, from Neil at Rugby Twenty Four Seven. He says, "Has Dean Ryan taken the Dragons as far as they can?" Obviously, uh, it does. It looks like something's not right there. This is another, you know, another coach under under kind of constant fire. Um, do you think he's he's going to get the time to to turn things around, Steph? I think he probably will get the time to turn things around. Um, I think you've you've got to be you've got to be realistic. Um, you know, the Dragons are under resourced in comparison to the other regions, um, and that's that's saying something because because the other three regions or pro clubs are under resourced in comparison to you know uh, French and Irish clubs and. What not? Um, so I don't. I don't think. I don't think the most, even the sort of most one-eyed Dragons fan wouldn't have expected them to, you know, do much in South Africa. Um, I realise it's more than South Africa. I mean, there's been. I, th- I think to answer the question, I think they should be better than what they are, a little bit. Um, I think you know there, there have been some really poor results. Um, well, that's that's stating the obvious. That's an understatement. But you look at the the draw against Benetton. That was pretty shocking really um, so there have been a lot of games that I think they should have won um, but you, you look, you just look at the Dragon squad I mean there are some quality players obviously Ross Moriarty Will Rowlands uh, I think they've, they've missed Leon Brown has been in and out to the side um, so he has had injury problems but he hasn't got again you know there, there are a lot of players in that, that team in, in the wider squad who you know they, they, they're probably out of their depth a little bit in, uh, in in the URC, I mean, going to South Africa against some of these teams, it's, it's effectively it's effectively Test match rugby. It's, it's it's close to Test match rugby. I think I think Wales would struggle against some of these teams. Um, you look at the way the Bulls played against the Scarlets. That was you know that, that, that was just you know just ruthless stuff. Because I think you said um, when we were off air, it wasn't it's not just their physicality. No. It's the ball playing ability. You know they they play in. Um, Playing an all-court game, and Dean Ryan said in a press conference actually after the the defeat on Friday night that collectively in Welsh rugby we have not got the physicality to compete with the South African teams, and Wales are going to feel that as well. Uh, you know, in the summer, how how do we bridge that gap? So that's that's the first thing. But but to answer his question, I I personally think that they'll stick with Dean Ryan. Um, you know he's been allowed to recruit. Mm. You know he's got he's got some decent recruitment. Max Clark, solid player. I think Lonsdale is actually a really underrated signing. It's a good signing. I think Hanrahan's a good signing. Mm. Um, you know then they're not sort of world beaters, but there's a reason that Hanrahan plays for Clermont just because he's he's a very capable ten. Um, 
I think Rodri Jones is actually a good sign of them. So he, he's he's upgraded in a lot of positions. And, you know, when a coach is allowed to recruit like that, it suggests that he's got the backing of of the board. And I, I, I don't really see the the Dragons board pushing him out of the door. I, I think he's he's there to stay. Um, whether he's the, the right man or not remains to be seen. Um, but I think you've got to look at the resources they've got and, I'm not really sure that they've got the squad to be doing that much better than what they currently are. So I think I'd probably stick with them. Yeah, I think you've, you know, looking at the results though, like you say, there's some, it, it makes for horrific reading. I mean, one win all it season does. is not is not good enough. Um, no. I agree that, look, that's, a, that's an under-resourced squad. We all know the problems with that. Should they be getting more than one win in a, a season? Definitely. Um, I mean, I haven't looked at the fixture list if we got left, you know, you'd hope that there's zebra in there at some point, which might boost that number up. But it's, you know, it's it's those games that early on in the season that I think were really disappointing because there were some games at the start of this of this term where they came out and there was there was real kind of intensity to the way they played. And I'm thinking about the it might even be the first game of the season against the Ospreys. There were a couple of other opportunities that they had to um, to beat decent sides at home that I think would have been would have helped to build a more successful campaign. You've obviously had a couple of players leave in the middle of the season as well, which I think is never a, a particularly good look. You know, and obviously Roberts has gone down to, to play in Australia and his wife's Australian and stuff like that. Tavis Noyle kind of shot his mouth off a little bit the other week, um, you know, which again might, you, you never know what the, what the, what the camp is like, but um, I think you're right. Now that he's been given the, um, the opportunity to bring players in over the, the summer. Um, we presume they're his signings. He's now got to get a tune at them next, you know, start of next season and win and win some games. I think I think you're right. But I think what, what people don't sometimes appreciate in in rugby, it's not like soccer when you, you get you get a job and there's a transfer market and you yeah. can sell players for millions and stuff. You you know it, it, it's different in somewhere like France where you've got a lot of money but in Wales, you inherit a squad and you inherit a lot of players that you don't rate. And let's face it, there is a lot of players of the Dragons who aren't good enough. They're Welsh Premiership level. It's not beat around the bush. I don't, I don't want to offend anyone, but I think that's the, that's the sad reality and the results back that up. Um, so it takes time. Um, I do think, I, I agree with you, one win all season is, is dreadful. It should be better than that. But it does take time to get these players out of your squad because um, they can't afford to pay everyone off mm. and they need to replace them. And it takes time to recruit the players you want. And when you look at the recruitment, they're, they're very Dean Ryan-style players. Yeah. Like Lonsdale's like a no-nonsense. Grunt, nothing flash it? Yeah. It's a no-nonsense Exeter sort of English Premiership block who just brings a lot of grunt and will graft for you when it's good in the on heavy pitches when, when it's you know pissing down a rain. Um, you know, Hanrahan as well. Um you know, he, he can play a very conservative game. The, the same with Max Clark. He's, he's not the most, you know, he, he, he won't set a game on fire. I don't, I don't particularly think he's international class like some people are making him out to be because obviously he's, he's Welsh qualified. But he, he make his tackles, his error rate is very, very low. He, he's, um, you know, he hits good angles and stuff. He's just, he's a very, he's a very solid player. And they're, they're Dean Ryan level players. And when, when Ryan was at Gloucester, for example, um, they they were the bridesmaids. Really, yeah. they, they were always there thereabouts, but they didn't quite have that that edge. Maybe that 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 cutting edge, um, you know, that, that they should have had. Um, but what Ryan was typically good at, he was good at creating solid foundations at clubs. He could only take them so far, but he was good at getting them up to a certain level. And my hope was when he came in was that he'd do that with the Dragons. Now that's not been the case so far, obviously, but. I do. I am hopeful that they'd be a little bit better, or quite a bit better next season with these signings. And he's had another year to get his style across. And when I mean style, I don't mean tactically. I mean in terms of he's a sort of guy that if you don't work hard for him, you're out, you you're out the door. Set a lot of people, so it takes time to root out players who, who can't get with that sort of philosophy. But I do agree with the point you made. I think if he doesn't get results next season, I think he might be in a spot of bother. But for now, I think he'd be back for the Dragon's board. 
Yeah, no, I think I, I, I think you're right as well. Um, and it's the, yeah, it's, it's the, it's the recruitment thing for me because if you, if you binned him <coughs> off now and and he and you've got a load of players yeah. in who play a certain type of role, you, you then have to appoint a Dean Ryan yeah. style of coach again, yeah. you know, who rates all those players. So yeah, and you yeah. could bring, you could appoint like a Chris Boyd, for example, who wants to play a super rugby style of, yeah. of, of play, and then. You're all, even though he's a great coach, you'd be setting yourself back three years because he's signing players on three-year contracts, can't afford to get rid of them, and he doesn't rate the same players as Ryan. So I think you know it, it, it's fairly it's fairly obvious, really. They're gonna they're gonna back their man. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't think there's gonna be uh, gonna be many changes at Rodney Parade in uh, in terms of the coaching stuff. Right, let's finish with this one then, Steph. While we're we're talking about the uh, the regions and signings, this one came in from Richard. Uh, which exiles do you think are most likely to to uh, to join a, a Welsh region? Um, so any any kind of Welsh qualified players playing outside the borders at the moment? Are you you think are uh, heading uh, heading to Wales? Well, obviously, um, I'm sure Richard is familiar with the sixty cap law. So yeah. there are a lot of players who, or there are a few players who will have to return if they want to continue their international careers. Assuming we keep the sixty cap law, that is. But if it's still in place, I think Carlum Sheed is out of contract pretty soon. I think it's the season after next. Uh-huh. So I think he's he's somebody that's going to be on the radar of of the regions. Um, Johan Lloyd is another one. I think. I think if he's going to play for Wales, um, he's going to have to come back. And one guy who's definitely going to have to come back is Raffle. Um, You know, he's Pivak made um, Pivak. Um, you know, through an extraordinary statistic at the at the press, um, uh, I think it was a start for Six Nations, and there was a lot of it was an outcry. The ref wasn't in the squad, and he said, "If if I picked ref, he'd only be available for twenty five percent of training sessions, and that is why you have a sixty cap law." Um, so, um, you know, when you, when you look at um, you know the open side position, which is a position of strength, maybe players like Tame Basham, Jack Morgan, hopefully Tip Brick will be back. Uh, you know Thomas Young's coming back, etc. When you've got like four players who are eight out of ten, nine out of ten players, um, and they're available for every single training session, and then you've got Raffle, who's probably as good potentially, but is only available for like twenty five percent, twenty five to forty percent of training sessions. And you're going to miss out, don't you? So um, I think Raffle might be one who um, will probably um, make the move uh, back to Wales um, in the near future. Uh, I don't know what region he's signed for, mine, but uh, I think I think th- those three players, then Lloyd, Sheedy, and, and Raffle, uh, are three that I think we'll, we'll probably be seeing play in regional rugby in the, in the next eighteen months to two years. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think uh, I'd I'd agree with that. Uh, Steph, it's been brilliant to get uh, to get your thoughts um, on this on this Sunday evening and bailing me out because uh, I can I can barely function. So uh, hugely appreciated. Always good to have you on the show. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you also to all the listeners who sent in questions. Uh, some great stuff in there as well. So a big thank you to, to everyone who sent uh, questions in. And finally, as always, a thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get some top quality coffee, you can do that over at socoffeetrades.co.uk. We'll be back next week to chat rugby with you. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.